Hi, I'm Warren Davies, the Unbreakable Farmer, and welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast, where I have the privilege to be joined by some amazing people I get to meet in my travels and share their stories and wisdom with you. After all, one of the most powerful assets of any community is the shared wisdom, and the best way to share that wisdom is through storytelling. So sit back and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast. Today's guest is a leader, mentor, businesswoman and author who's totally involved in her community. So much so that uh, she was recognised recently um, by receiving an Order of Australia medal for her services to community. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Marie McPherson. Good morning, Marie. How are you? I'm fabulous, Warren. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be here. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, we got to know each other um, through the, the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation's um, Drought and Resilience Program. I was a, a mentor in that program and you were the mentor coach. So I know that you've got plenty of wisdom to share with the audience today. So it'll be good to have a conversation with you and find out a little bit more about you and, and what you do. That's so, great. Uh, you know, I was making the observation, Warren, that um, uh, the last time we did something like this, it was actually me interviewing you as part of that mentoring program where we did a webinar together. So the tables have turned a little bit today. They have turned a little bit and I know it is a little bit harder on my end um, these days asking the questions. That's one of the challenges that I've found. But as um, we discussed before we come on air, I'm taking a leaf out of one of my mentor's books and it's more about um, progression than perfection. So we're just going to go with it warts and all. So um, so yeah, that was that was a fantastic program to be involved in and, and your wisdom that, you know, helped um, I suppose shape that program and also um, guide us through the the challenges that we faced as as mentors and mentees, which was um, very valuable. So, I want to know a little bit more about Mar- your story. What's Marie's story? Um, you know, growing up, how did you become um, the business leader and and you know author and community member that you are today? Well, we have to go a fair way back, Warren. I'm a I'm a child of the mid '60s, so I'm one of the youngest, no, one of the oldest members of Gen X. You know, I just escaped being a baby boomer, so uh, we're going a fair way back. Um, my story probably starts uh, in a regional town, uh, which has become a regional city, but back then it probably had a population of around. 15,000 people at the time. I went to a regional high school um, and my career trajectory, as it was for many girls back then, was to become a teacher. So you back then kids either went to become secretaries, typists, uh, nurses or teachers. You know, that was really um, the choice. And so my plan was to teach history and geography in secondary schools. Um, But by the time I got to the end of HSC, I realised after 13 years in school, I probably didn't want to go back. And I was starting to think about what else was available to me. So one night I was watching uh, a documentary with my parents. I think it was a Four Corners documentary. And it was about 
poverty in Australia. It was about the Henderson poverty line and the number of Australians that were living pretty much week to week, pay packet to pay packet. Just like my family, they seemed like average families just like mine, but they didn't have enough food to eat by midway through the week. They just didn't have enough money. Um, Interesting, you know, if we think about the conversations that are happening about the Australian economy right now, uh, there's there's some echoes there for me. Um, so I watched that program, and there was a family who it was it was called I think brown rice and Vegemite, and the family that they were interviewing was spending part of the week living on brown rice with Vegemite stirred through it. That was their evening meal, and I I was I looked at my mum and dad. All my older siblings had left home by this stage, and I was I looked at my parents and said, "This is an outrage." And I have to do something about it. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I embarked on finding out what would be the job that did something about that. I, I had no clue, but I eventually found out um, that that would probably be social work. And so on leaving, uh, on leaving school, I embarked on uh, a degree in social welfare. So that was, that was where this journey began. And... I then worked in, uh, after graduating, I worked in children's services programs. Uh, I worked with people, adults with intellectual disabilities, which was a, a really wonderful uh, work. At the time when people were being brought home to the region from institutions, so it was that time of deinstitutionalisation, it was quite phenomenal. Um, then some, some time in workers' rehabilitation in the old work care rehabilitation scheme. And that at that point, I did a second qualification, uh, a graduate diploma in business with a specialisation in industrial relations. Interesting. <laughs> and good combination. I then from there, yeah, very good social work and, and IR. Um, you know, <laughs> people at the time said, what, are you crazy? How does that go together? Um, but I can tell you it's been an amazing uh, combination to have. Um, and that led me into middle management jobs in back in the not-for-profit sector in welfare agencies and then cutting my teeth as a chief executive in a regional development body, um, which is probably the pathway that led me to where I am now. Um, and then I was the chief executive of a statewide local government um, organisation. So um, I headed up the VLGA for a number of years. Um, and then do you want to know, do you want me to keep going? Have you got another yeah, no. question? <laughs> oh, no, no, you're doing, you're doing, no, you're doing really well. And it's very interesting to, um, oh, there'll be some interesting questions come out of this, but keep going because I know that the resume keeps going. <laughs> I, I just don't want to bore people. So I'm thinking for the listeners, they'll be asleep at this point, thinking how, how long is she going to keep talking about this? But it was probably <laughs> in my late 40s. I really felt like something big was shifting for me and I really wanted to get back to working with people directly. It was that pull back to my early training, I think. Um, and so that was the point where I returned back to studying um, and I, I went back to university almost at 50. I was, in, I was probably about 47, 48 um, and did my um, graduate postgrad studies in organisational development and coaching, um, and that was that was the transition time when I was leaving Melbourne and the statewide peak to come back to Gippsland. 
to return home. I had, uh, you know, um, uh, an elderly mother-in-law who was pretty frail. Um, my own father was getting frailer and we didn't realise quite the trajectory that he was on. Um, and it was, yeah, it was time to come back and be a bit more present to things that were happening here. Um, so that that was the, the point at which I dabbled a little bit in state government when I came back and very quickly realised that I was no longer employable. <laughs> I needed to. <laughs> I needed to do my own thing. And yep. so I launched the business when, when I was 50, uh, which, you know, some people would say, gosh, that was brave. Um, but, yeah, fabulous, fabulous thing to do. Yeah, it's... Um... It'll be interesting to find out how all those bits and pieces that that you've done, how they all come together. Because I know myself, you know, being a being a speaker now, and um, and you know, doing what I do now, all the little bits and pieces of my life, the things that I've done, have all come together, and they all serve a purpose in some way, shape, or form in what I do now with connecting with the the people that I connect with, um, whether it's through sharing a story from one of those parts of my life or whether it's um, um, the lessons that you learn from that, particularly dairy farming. There's plenty of lessons that that are transferable (laughs) out into into the normal community um, that I can share that, you know, the lessons that I learned. So it'll be interesting to hear some of those how some of those roles that you've held have, have, um, you know, now play a part in what you do now. So, um, so that leads us to where you are now. So, um, what what does your now business entail? Um, I know that you're you do mentoring and coaching, and um, you've got a number of programs. I know that that you run. Can you tell us a little bit of, a bit about? what you do now and and how you help the people that you work with. Mm, Thank you. Uh, So essentially what I do now is I'm a leadership development coach and trainer uh, and the work that I do is based very much on the the two books that I've written Um, and I I freely admit that I stand on the shoulders of giants. So some some of my thinking is mine and a lot of it is built on people, thought leaders that have gone before uh, over, you know, many, many decades in, and, in fact, some uh, some stuff that I often reference probably goes back to last couple of centuries. Um, but what I, what I absolutely love, I guess what fills my cup, is seeing leaders really lean into their roles, really leaning into leadership uh, despite the challenges because we, we hear from so many people, so many people talk about how leadership can be lonely and thankless, and there are moments when it can be, but gosh, it's rewarding. Gosh, it's the most rewarding thing you can do. Um, I think being, being able to uh, help people see into uh, the possibilities that exist for them when they can lead as their best selves. And so for me, that starts with self-knowledge. I don't think you can lead anybody else, be it community, be it a team, be it an organisation, uh, be it a service club, unless you can lead yourself. And so the work that I primarily do now is helping people to understand who they are, what they value, uh, what kind of mindset they show up with and 
What are the emotional thing, emotional triggers? What are the trigger, things that trigger them? And how do they learn to um, not, not get rid of those, not to dampen their own personality, but how do they manage it so that they can um, show up as the best people they can be? Um, because we, I mean, you and I both know that most humans have got a pretty good BS detector. So if their leader is trying to be somebody that they're not, we can see through that. We can feel that coming off them and they are projecting that whether they're trying to or not. So we need humans to be authentic. We need them to be their real selves and to polish the edges, if you like. Um, so I, I, what I often say to people is you're not broken. You don't need fixing. Uh, what you need is some insight into who you are and how you operate so that you can elevate that and be the kind of leader that you would like to be. So that that makes me so happy when I see people who are able to, you know, cross that threshold. Uh, it's fantastic work and, and, you know, a couple of those words like being an authentic leader is, is really important, I think. And, you know, someone asked me this question the other day about, you know, about how or why do I stay true to who I am and not get caught up in the whole razzmatazz I suppose of of business and that and I said because I've sat in those audiences and you and you hear people talking and basically after 10 minutes you switch off and you don't hear anything that 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 people say because you know you know that it's bs and your detectors already picked that up and you know the slick shiny shoes or whatever and it's something that I got caught up with in early on like I always thought that I'd you know imagine that being a speaker I'd be speaking at the Crown Casino at some flashy stage and all that and and you know got dis, dis um heartened by not achieving that but then realized that my real community was rural communities and I needed to focus on that and ironically when I started focusing on that I ended up speaking at the Crown Casino because it was a, just a total mindset shift because you oh, understand who you are and who you're, you're meant to be yeah. um, and you shouldn't be trying to be someone else. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? Once we um, take the pressure off our own shoulders and stop trying to be somebody that we're, that we're not, people gravitate to to that. You know, I've, I've noticed that the right if whatever this is going to sound a bit odd but the right clients turn up the people who want to be in my tribe will find me because I'm putting out into the world the stuff that is meaningful for them so I don't want to talk about stuff that is somebody else's um, uh, area because that's not authentic for me Uh, I know I know which train I should be on and the right people are going to be jumping in the carriages behind and coming with me. So uh, you, you're so right. You know, it, it, those those are the things that get you to speak at Crown Casino yeah. because people want to hear that message. The right audience will be there. So going back to that, that thought that came into my head about all the different roles that you've had over your career, how has that helped you be that? better coach or mentor or um, or facilitator that you are today, how have all those roles, have, they, have any of those bits of those roles come with you into your current business now? Yeah, that's a great question, Warren. I, 
I suspect they all have. I think little pieces, you know, isn't that the journey of life that as you know, I'm I'm getting I'm much closer to sixty than fifty now. So I'm I'm very able to look back and say, uh, I think part of part of what allows me to do this work is the getting of wisdom. There's an awful lot more to get, by the way, um, but yeah. I can say that along along those years, um, that that's been uh, key for me. And and it's interesting. Some people will say to me, "Gosh, don't you wish you'd set up your business in your thirties?" And no, no way, because I wouldn't have known anywhere near the amount of stuff that I did uh, when I when I got cracking, you know, at forty nine or fifty. Um, all the mistakes, all the pitfalls, all the joys, all the messiness of that long career, um, all of that has been brought into my practice now. And I think what makes me a better coach particularly, um, perhaps across spanning all the roles that I play, but I think what makes me in particular a better coach um, and a much more present coach is that I felt on my skin um, the goosebumps that my clients talk about. So when when a, a, a C-suite leader, a CEO, um, when a woman is telling me about some of the challenges that are going on in her organisation and how does she grapple with that, how does she make time for herself to recharge and recover in the midst of really tough things, I can feel that. And so I don't want to be complicit and over-identify and feed that sense of um, exhaustion or panic or stress, but I can, I know enough about it, I understand what she's describing. And so that allows me to say, well, let's let's um, just notice what's going on right now. And I think what, um, I think the bravery that comes with being a bit older and wiser, what I perhaps wouldn't have done when I was younger, I will now say, I'm noticing this in myself. I'm noticing this physical reaction to what you're saying. Let's explore what that's about. Um, what are you feeling like? And so I think it's that um, it, it allows me to go much, much deeper and do better work because I'm, I'm a little bit wiser, uh, a little bit more mature, and I have, you know, those 40 years of work experience that come to play in those conversations. Yeah, you, you've walked the walk basically, and 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 you've got that knowledge behind you, and it's um yeah, it is um it's a, a you know as I talk about like one of the most valuable parts of any community is shared wisdom, and like and that's the wisdom that, and I always explain it doesn't matter if you're an eight year old in the room or an eighty year old, you've all walked part of a journey, and you've all picked up wisdom along the way, and. And the the value in any community is about sharing that wisdom, and that's what you do greatly in in the roles that you play and and in your business and and helping leaders, and not just leaders but people in general be able to, as you said, show up as a, as a better version of themselves. Something that I'm really interested in um, because it's something that I've contemplated and and procrastinated over for a number of years is becoming an author. Um, how is that journey for you putting it down um, on paper and then get it published that journey and and tell us a little bit more about um, the uh, the the books that you've written mm. so 
you know, I, I always get the giggles when, I, when I'm answering this question because if you'd said to me um, 10 or 15 years ago that I would have written two books uh, by the time I was 56, I would have laughed hysterically. I would have said, what have you been smoking, Warren? Get a grip. There's no way. I don't need to write a book. I don't want to write a book. I'm not an author. What a ridiculous idea. And it all happened because I did a business development program through an organisation called called Thought Leaders International, Thought Leaders Business School. And part of the requirement uh, in my first 12 months was to start writing a book. You know, it's one of the things you sign up for. And being a real rule follower at the time, being being the good girl, <laughs> I, I did what I was told and started writing a book. And so that first book became Cutting Through the Grass Ceiling, which is stories of, of uh, regional women in leadership in rural Australia. And it's a, it was a beautiful book. It really, it's a lovely book. Uh, it's not my best work, <laughs> but I'm really proud that I wrote it. And the women I got to interview for that book um, really made it very special. Um, what I learned writing that first book uh, was what not to do. So partway through the journey, I was about 12 and a half, 13,000 words into the manuscript and I accidentally deleted it. And when I, I, I went as far as contacting Microsoft to say, is there any way to retrieve this file? I've deleted um, part of my manuscript. And they were so helpful and they said, no, if you've deleted it and then deleted it from your recycle folder, it's gone. Like it is in the ether and disappeared and gone to heaven, which is exactly what had happened because I had too many files with the same file name Um so I, I lost my book, basically, and my husband came home one day and found me sitting in the corner of the lounge sobbing, and he's like, what's happened? Has someone died? It's like, no, I've deleted the book. It's gone. Uh, so he he ducked for cover as he ran out the back door saying, you're going to have to start again, and it's going to be even better. And he very wisely ran away after saying that, but he was spot on because, of course, when I wrote the next version, which I started again that evening, got back on the bike and said, right, you've got to get on with it, um, I ended up with a, you know, a 30,000-word manuscript that was even better, although we'll never really know, will we? <laughs> no. <better> <laughs> well, unless it comes That's out someone trick. from someone from Microsoft ends up publishing a book by the similar name and <laughs> they've kept it and, and it becomes a, a world bestseller, you never know. Yeah, well, I'll be seeking a commission when that happens. Uh, so that that um, that was the first book. And, and the second time around, uh, when I wrote Worthy, um, I started writing that with a particularly different slant uh, and I, I stopped writing um, when my father became very, very ill in the last stage of his Alzheimer's disease and then he died and I couldn't write for several months. I was just blocked with grief uh, and it wasn't until, um, I, you know, I was coming through that and it was probably uh, around September time that I decided, no, you really, you really need to get on with this book. You, you've committed to it. You've done some of the interviews, your clients are waiting for it, and you've got a story to tell. And I hired a book coach, uh, Kath Walters, the wonderful Kath Walters, 
And Kath had a fabulous program where she enabled me to frame out each chapter and then interview myself with a series of questions and I recorded it. So what I learned the second time around that was recording a book was so much easier than writing. And so then I had transcripts that I could edit and each chapter started to form. Um, And so the process of, uh, you know, framing the chapters, recording through to editing and publishing really only took about three three and a half, four months. Uh, So if I'm ever going to write another book, I will definitely do it that way. Um, it's very interesting because same similar conversation with someone yesterday about yeah um, and I'm talking about just me um, trying to become more efficient in what I do and I'm a terrible typist and yeah it's about recording stuff and and just editing the the bad words or the words that it doesn't pick up on properly makes it a lot more efficient and quicker and so that's a that's a good tip for any budding author out there that um, yeah is I suppose blocked by that thought that they have to sit down and type out um, 30,000 words or whatever, or <laughs> even 10,000 words. It's um, yeah, that's a, that's a great tip. So um, just tell me a little bit about the, your more recent book where you just tell me a little bit about the book itself and, and, and um, some of the, I suppose the wisdom that's contained within that book. So Worthy is really, uh, it's written for, um, I had a particular woman in mind when I wrote it. She was someone that I met at a, a women's business event in Melbourne at a dinner and we we didn't know each other. We were seated next to each other at this dinner and as often happens in these scenarios, or it happens to me at least, I suspect it probably happens to you as well, Um, you meet someone who starts telling you their life story completely unsolicited and she was sharing with me uh, a whole lot of stuff about all the regrets that she had about things that she hadn't done and it went right back to a time in her life when she decided not to go to university because she grew up in the country. Her parents' farm was in real, real trouble and Uh, No, it wasn't a farm. They had a farm, um, they had a a rural business that was um, uh, selling equipment and machinery and and so on. Um, And I won't won't go into too much detail in case I give details away, Um, but essentially her family were prepared to send her to uni, but it was going to be really hard for them. So she decided not to go. And that was where her regrets began. And then there was a whole life story. She, she had a fabulous life. She and her, her husband both had great incomes. They had two beautiful kids, an amazing home. They'd built an amazing life for themselves, but something was still not right for her in her self-talk. And she poured out so much of this story that she got quite emotional. And after the main course, she excused herself and left. And I thought, oh, this is just heartbreaking because she can't see all the amazing stuff that she's got in life and she also can't see that there's still time, that she doesn't have to be so regretful and full of remorse and um, uh, conflict about the things she hasn't done. She's got time. You know, she's not She's not a woman on her deathbed. She's not 97 and, and finishing her life. She's got time to do this. This is actually her time. The kids are about to be off her hands. Like there's so much opportunity here. And 
I wanted to, I just wanted to capture some message for her. And then I thought about all the clients that I'd coached and younger women that I'd mentored and some of the stuff that I had felt, um, uh, you know, as I walked uh, the pathway that you were describing in my career and slipped off the cliff a couple of times. Thought, okay, there's something, there's something here to talk about. So Worthy became the story of how we straighten our self-talk and live an intentional life. Uh, and what are, what are the ways that you can you can begin to build that? Uh, so it's it's definitely the stories of some of my clients. It's the stories of people I've met along the way, and some of the pitfalls that I've encountered and how I've got around those. Um, so yeah, I'm really proud of that book. It has touched a lot of people. We'll have to in, um, include some links on how people can get the book because it, it sounds very powerful and it'd be um, well worth reading for, for anybody. That, yeah, w- wanting to lead into um, some of the other things. So some of the, the lessons that you've learnt from your journey, what would be the three biggest lessons that, that you've learnt um, along your, your business journey or just your personal journey? Um what, what what would be the three biggest things that you've learnt? Oh, the three biggest things. Um, I can talk about perhaps things I've learned about myself. Would that be useful? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Whether it's per, as I said, personal or business, what what would be those three lessons? Okay, so um, this is perhaps not a lesson, but it might be a hint for others who are listening. One of the things I didn't mention in the long description of my career is that there's been two times in my life where I've taken what I call sabbaticals. They were actually both redundancies, but I like to think of them in different in a different context. Spit, um, put a positive but, spin on them and not call them redundancies. <laughs> I, I, I like to say I was Jeffed and Kevined. So oh, in, in okay. my, first, my, yeah, my first redundancy was brought about by um, Jeff Kennett's government and the second by Kevin Rudd's. So I've been boosted, booted by both sides of politics. Um, but the, the power of taking a sabbatical, taking time, the first time around six months because uh, I had some long service leave stored up and – that was the time when I raised Labrador puppies and grew my first vegetable garden, um, very restorative. And the second time was, um, you know, enabled me um, to really think about, you know, where did I, where did I want to be with my future and to really rest and recharge. So here's, here's the top things I've learned about myself and I think I'm cheeky because there might be more than three, but I'll do my best. So I've learned that I am more resilient capable, smarter and wiser than I ever imagined and I've done some amazing things in my life. So that's the first thing I know about me. Um, The second and perhaps most important one, which I know will appeal to you, is that curiosity has served me very well and that may not have been apparent to me when I was younger. Curiosity is often something that children are, particularly girls, are asked not to have. You know, you've got to keep it nice and not ask many questions. But what I've learned is that that has served me incredibly well through life. Um, I've learned that leading myself is just as tough as leading others, perhaps more so. (laughs) 
Um, I can agree agree with that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and maybe maybe the big one, the other big one, which I think will also resonate with you, is that I've spent a lot of my life being very bad at asking for help. And it's only in maybe uh, the last decade that I've learned to do that more effectively. And it's still a work in progress, um, but I wish I'd learned that lesson much, much earlier in life. So just on that point, what was, I suppose, what was the turning point when you started to ask for help? What was that, I suppose, what made you... um, more able to reach out and ask for help, what was that turning point? I think the the big turning point for me, I was thinking about this this morning um, in in a preparation. You know, I don't know if this happens for you, but I was in the shower thinking, you know, that the hot water gets my brain going, I think, and I was thinking, I wonder what Warren will ask me, and I reckon there'll be something about this resilience piece and asking for help. So the turning point for me was probably when I... um, Went when I moved to Melbourne for the the statewide CEO role, um, I had all the excitement and adrenaline um, about going going on that big journey, and you know making it in the big smoke and um, being ready for this role. I was so ready, but at that time, I also had nowhere to live in the city. I was four weeks off an overseas trip to Europe to have a white Christmas with my extended family. I had no idea that the organisation I was heading into was perhaps not as it had been described to me by the recruitment agency and the board directors. So that's not to cast any aspersions or blame anyone. Um, There was a lot more going on there than I had been led to believe. And so I arrived um, with my suitcase, basically living out of a suitcase in various motel rooms for the first month, thinking I'll I'll be fine to start on the date that they need me. I'll be able to look for somewhere to live while I'm down there. Like all these things in hindsight, really stupid. <laughs> really would never do that again. Uh, and by the time I got on that aeroplane to go overseas for the Christmas break, um, I was a bit broken. I was a bit broken and I was really feeling like, will I go back? Once I land back in Australia, am I going to stick this out or am I going to walk away? I'm still in probation. It would be easy to go, um, but this is not what I thought I was walking into and maybe I'm not cut out for it. And I live with a very wise human who said to me, (laughs) uh, you need to give this 12 months. Because if you walk away now, you will regret it so much. You have worked so hard to come to this point. It's everything that you wanted. And if you walk away now, you are going to kick yourself for the rest of your life. I need you to see that you can can do this for 12 months. And if on your 12-month anniversary you still feel like this, you pack your bags bags and come home, but not yet. Um, So you need help. You've got to get some support. So... The first thing I did was found a fabulous estate agent who had an apartment for me in about three days in exactly the price range that I was looking for. Uh, So that was excellent. And I went back to my former executive coach and said, I need some support. I need someone where I can process my thinking because the wheels are falling off big time 
and uh, she'd been she'd been partly involved in the um, in the recruitment process. She'd been on the edge of that, uh, although not, not directly involved. And um, so I started working with her again and got my head clear. Um, and then I was able to start showing up differently to the staff group and and to be a better leader. Um, the problems didn't go away. It was still a really difficult 12 months um, and there was a lot of stuff to fix. Uh, but I had surrounded myself with people who were equipped to help me do that. And I started asking my team for help, which was a really big deal for me. Uh, I hadn't been the kind of leader that had done that before. And I remember one particular time where uh, my dad became really ill and was rushed to hospital in Melbourne. He was uh, thrown sort of thrown into an ambulance and, and rushed for emergency surgery. And there was something big going down at work. And two of the senior team members said, you don't need to fix this. You need to go and meet your dad's ambulance at the hospital. You need to be with him. We've got this. You know, by the time you come back, uh, it'll be solved. You know, we're here because we are the experts in this stuff. Why are you trying to do this? It's like, oh, you know, another epiphany. Get off your high horse, woman, and just bloody go and be with your dad. You know, these guys have got it. They've got your back. Stop trying to be the hero. Stop trying to be the martyr. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, and, you know, really powerful lessons in that job around giving up some of my ego and giving up the need to be the the perfect leader and to just get on with life a little bit. That's a great lesson and that's and like that's a fairly universal thing like if you are struggling in any way shape or form it's it's not a, a sign of weakness to put your hand up and ask for help like it's um it's actually a sign of strength and and a, and a sign of like you said self leadership that you can that you can ask for that help and and not feel yeah that you're um downplaying or losing anything by doing that this has been a great conversation. I, I suppose we better wrap it up shortly. I, I've taken up, a, a, I know your time's valuable and I've taken up um, plenty of your time, but I've got a few questions just to ask you at the end, just to finish off with. And, and they're just simple, um, probably lighten the load a little bit now and ask, what's your, what, apart from your own books, um, what, what's one of your <laughs> favorite, what's a favorite book that you've read? And what have you learned from I, that book, I, really, I suppose? Yeah, I really struggle with um, with this one, Warren, because I, I, there's so many books that I love. Um, I've really, the two that I read in particular last year that I just adored, and one was called um, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. I highly recommend that book because it, it crystallises the time we have on earth, if we're lucky, and... Uh, how precious that is and how we're never going to achieve all the things that we imagined we might. Um, there's there's only 24 hours in each day and we only get so many days here. Um, so it's a, it's a really good reframe on this idea of being hyperproductive. I just loved it. And I laughed out loud in places because he's quite an amusing writer as well. Um, and I also loved um, Johan Hari's book, Stolen Focus, that that was a game changer for me. Um, and if I can have one more, I'm currently right, reading Kate, 
um, currently reading Kate Christie's book, The Life List, which has just been published, just been released. And, uh, wow, it's, um, it's massive. It's, it's really shifting my equilibrium. So I think there's, um, there's a bit going on with, uh, you know, me and my relationship to the things I still want to achieve in life. Um, and, you know, bringing joy and bringing more time for the things that, that fill my cup, uh, rather than sitting on social media. Um, that's a, that's been a really powerful thing. Yeah. So those, those three books have been phenomenal. Well, (coughs) fantastic recommendations that I'll include in the show notes so people can look them up. Um, another one, your favorite music, what's, what is music something that you like and what's your favorite music? I do like music so much that I'm almost going to squib the question because I don't know the answer. I ha- if I were to read out my Spotify playlist to you, you'd say, what the heck? There's no genre here. You're all over the shop. Um, but, you know, I was, I was driving back from um, uh, an event last night. I had about a one-hour commute and I was playing um, – uh, beautiful, beautiful music from Seal um, from from the 1990s, you know, some of his really early works. Um, so, yeah, probably the only music I don't like to the chagrin of many people that I know is country, country and western. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Block my ears, please. No, I, I can't, be, can't be doing with that. Um, but I do like blues. I really like blues music. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to almost anything. Um, but, yeah, I really, yeah, really like blues music. I think for anyone anyone that hasn't got that um, ability to like all kind of genres of music, I think that's a, something that they've, they've missed out on life because that's the same as mine. Like my playlist will go like on a a commute from a speaking gig will go from Willie Nelson to the living end or to Foo Fighters to something else like, or BB King, or I was actually listening to a bit of BB King the other night. Just music is, uh, is plays a, an important part and role in your life. And in certain, certain music plays different roles and it's, um, mm. it's very, <laughs> it's, um, it's good for the soul. It's uh, very another one. Got another good one. Another question. Last question, or last of a of a number of questions I've got for you here is your your favourite quote. And I know I put this one on you um, before we started, so um, I've given you a bit of time to be able to um, work this one out. But what's your what's your favourite quote? This this one's a little easier for me, and it's really ancient. It's a really ancient quote, and there have been various iterations of it over the years from different people. But it goes back to Julian of Norwich, and uh, it's a quote. It's something that she said, which was, "All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well." And I just, I just adore that because I think. Um, you know, it's a, it's a nice place to be kind of ending our discussion because if you think of all the things that might challenge people, it really is a message that this too shall pass. It's about remembering that the tough times do pass. So do the good times. Uh, and, you know, all things shall be well, whether we are part of them or not. Um, the world keeps spinning. And I find that a really helpful 
um, frame on life. Oh, that's a that's a good quote. It's um, very appropriate for 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 me today. <laughs> that quote that yeah, life goes on and 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 everything will be well. Um, the last the last question I'll um, I'll ask you this question. So this can be anybody um, from past, present, whether you've met them or not. If you're able to have a a a dinner for five people. And we're not including family here, so you don't have to include family, but they can be past, present, you haven't met them, you've met them or haven't met them. Who would be the five people that you would like to invite for dinner? Oh, what a question. Oh, well, I reckon my number one would be Nelson Mandela. I'd love to talk with him about what he saw in the world over his long life and uh, the transition that he observed in in the world. Uh, I'd like the um, past international president of Rotary International, Jennifer Jones, who finishes her term today. I'd invite her. Um, Billy Connolly, just to entertain us, really. Um, So that's three. Um, 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 Who else would I want there? Um, I reckon Angela Merkel would be pretty interesting uh, as one of the most senior female leaders uh, uh, the planet has has seen in in the last couple of decades. I think she would be fascinating. And just to round it off, perhaps Jacinda Ardern at the other end of the age spectrum, um, someone who's led with what I consider to be the traits that the world needs right now. I think she would be an incredibly insightful person to include. I totally agree. She um, she was a, um, a a leader that really sp- uh, piqued my interest. Just the way that she so, that she went about what she did, and you know, obviously in politics, people you're either loved or you hated. <laughs> um, but she did a fantastic job. I thought just with the way she led with empathy was a you know a real lesson to the world. I think. Well, that brings us to the end of of our of our chat, and I've I've really appreciated it. It's um it's been fantastic to chat with you, Marie, and I and I appreciate your time. I know that you're a busy lady, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, is there any final things that you'd like to say, or I, I suppose I should ask if people have been interested in in our chat today and and want to learn a little bit more about you? Where where would they? Um, find you? How can they get in contact with you? I think the simplest way, Warren, is um, direct to my website, which is, of course, mariemcpherson.com.au. And we can share for your show notes, we can share the details of that. Um, That's where you can find my books. That's where you can see um, coverage of other podcasts and webinars that I've been part of. Um, I'd love to really thank you for the opportunity of having the conversation. I must admit, I was pretty excited to see that you were starting a, a podcast and that when I got your messages to say, would, would I like to be involved, I couldn't think of a better bloke to hang out with for an hour or so. Uh, so I hope I haven't talked too much and that, um, that this is valuable for your listening audience. It's been a delight. I'm sure it will be and, and thank you very much and great chatting with you and hopefully we'll catch up um, some way way down the track um, and and sit down and have a coffee.
be loved be great to do that i'd love to go on you marie thank you very much Thanks for joining me on today's podcast and I appreciate any feedback and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast.